Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for my precious friends. Uh, thank you for those who are tuning in on uh, live stream uh, that are maybe already back for the season. And uh, Lord, I also, I also thank you for our online community and for those who may even be watching uh, on television this morning and just came across this kind of crazy thing and what's going on here. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak them, speak to them through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to continue this. Uh, well, we've been looking through Luke chapter 12, and last week we kind of started this launch place of Jesus talking about what it is to be ready and how important that is. It's easy to say, okay, yeah, we should be ready for his return. But for me, I think analytically, I'm thinking like, Lord, is there some deep truth that I can glean from these parables that you're teaching that can help me actually do what you're instructing me to do? Lord, I want to know how to do this. I don't want to just have a kind of an abstract, ethereal kind of thought, well, I should be ready. I want to know some real maybe practical steps that I could even maybe take today that would help me be ready for your return. You're talking about how important this is. Obviously, it's important to you. It has to then be, if I am a disciple of yours, important to me. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. We're going to read this first paragraph uh, here uh, in Verse 35, be dressed in readiness. We looked at that last week. Clothed in his righteousness, the armor of God, and all that. And so what you're wearing in a symbolic sense is uh, very much how you prepare for his return. And then this morning we're going to look at two different facets of this. And keep your lamps lit. Keep your lamps lit. That should immediately beg the question in your mind, well, what's my lamp? How, is, how does it get lit? Where does the light come from? What is light? I mean, we can look at this in many different ways. Be like men who are waiting for their master. Master, that sounds like, I don't know if I don't like that. When he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks, blessed are those slaves. Now, again, let me just, I need to state this from the outset so you don't... It's impossible for you not to look through the matrix of the horrific African slave trade that has been a blight on the American experiment for these last 300 years. And uh, it's been just a complete horror show. It's led to incredible ethnic divides. It's led to much of what we see in our culture today. When we're talking about slaves here, we're talking about bond servitude. I've talked about it before. This is not chattel slavery that we have. So you're going to have to kind of shift your focus and we'll, I'll just find a little bit more what this word doulos in the Greek actually means and how it can apply to you as you potentially self-identify as these men have. Well, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so blessed are those slaves. I don't know about you. I want to be blessed, and I don't mean just some Christian catchphrase, some cliche, oh, blessed are you, brother, uh, you know, be blessed, and all that. Blessedness, if you understand it in its full context, is an overwhelming rightness with everything that is you, your mind, your will, your emotions, your finance, and all those different kinds of things, and in a spiritual sense, blessedness is really powerful because the dissonance in your head, the shame that you felt, all those things that you've kind of maybe hidden in darkness now become exposed to the light and the mold quits growing in a, in a sense and, and vegetation and flowers and just get that picture. Lord, I want to be blessed in that way. I want to, well, I want my countenance to be lifted up. Uh, 
I want to be I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Jesus is going to give you some insight into that today. So my first question to you is, well, what is your lamp? Well, your lamp is your body in this sense, in a metaphorical sense. Keep your lamps lit. And what is the light? I want to take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Many of you will know that well. And we're going to look at this first verse. Okay? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why is that so important? Because God did it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a steady state universe where the matter, all the matter in the universe just kind of always existed. That is just a fancy way to say we don't know. Einstein believed in that for many years until he is theory of relativity and a lot of different and began to understand that the universe was expanding and probably had a very in a very strong sense a beginning. And all the matter in the universe somehow came out of nothing, almost, like the size of a pinhead or something. I mean, how does that work? It's just, in, it's just inconceivable in our minds, but it fits right in with Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and vo- void. Tohu wabohu in the Hebrew. Tohu wabohu. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So that was the creation of the seen realm, let there be light. Science is now saying, that's probably about what happened. Light exploding and and stars being formed and over, you know, just, boy, it's so inconceivable. And it started with these... You know, are they particles? Are they waves? Are they little photon packets? What is light? It's hard to even understand the properties of light. Nothing can go faster than the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. Nothing can move faster than that. How does this work? Light. What a strange, strange thing in the universe, light. And yet it began with light, and now we're going to be talking about in our, in the, created order, there was let there be light. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is in the unseen realm, there is also a created order that comes to light and is created. And when God speaks into your light, when these men were getting baptized, something had happened in their life where God spoke into their life. And one of them's here, Nick. And, and, and what happened is it said, let there be light. And Nick's life turned from darkness to light. And we're going to see that again this morning. What does tohu wabohu mean? Well, what it really means is tohu, especially meaningless, void, dry, desert, okay, nothingness. Tohu bohu, this waste and formless and void, and depending on your translation, it was just kind of dead. There was no meaningless. And I'm telling you, there are people potentially watching uh, right now who feel that their life is utterly meaningless because they've bought into the lie that they are somehow just the product of they're just kind of like rocks floating around in, a, in this deep space. And, uh, you know, that's how it all began. You know, you had stars and gases and formed in compression, and then you had fusion in the middle of these stars, and it formed basic elements, and then that exploded and seeded the cosmos with all these elements, and then these elements through gravity that we don't understand began to swirl around, and, and they were pulled into these, into these whether it be a planet or all these, and, and all of a sudden, this, and then they would explode, and then it would seed more, and then you're just stardust is what you are. Some will tell you that. Well, you may be stardust in terms of your body, but boy, you are not tohu wabohu when Christ comes and is the light 
in your life? How do you keep your lamps lit? Do, should you care about your lamps being lit? Well, Jesus said yes, because you need to understand that he is the light from the beginning. Isaiah chapter 9, about 700 years before the time of Jesus, Isaiah's prophesying. We read this every year at Christmas time. A light that comes out of this Galilee region in the northern parts of Israel. Listen to what he says. There will no longer be gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. Isaiah's looking into the future. He's seen something. It looks like light. He says he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's just northern Israel up near the Galilee of the Gentiles. He, God treated it with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth, right there in the middle of what Isaiah seen. Now, you can't imagine that some light source, some Messiah figure would emerge anywhere other than the city of David, Jerusalem. But no, something way up north where formerly God had content for this place because it was a mixed bag and the Assyrians had come in and overrun it and, and mixed marriages between Jews and and. Gentiles and they kind of came became Samaritans and it's just a uh, gosh knows and Romans and all, eh, what's going on up there in the north. Anything that really happened that mattered has to happen in Jerusalem. But Isaiah is saying, no, 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 light's going to come out. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light's going to shine on them. And God, you're going to multiply the nation. You're going to increase their gladness. Who needs a little gladness this morning? They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, and you, uh, what? you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, at, as at the battle of Midian. What's the battle of Midian? Well, just for our purposes now, we'll swing back in a minute and catch this battle of Midian. Do you Understand that Moses had another wife named Zipporah, and one of her descendants, one of her pro, uh, progeny was these Midianites, and they would become thorns in the side of God's chosen people, Israel. Why chosen? Because they were going to bring in the Messiah. The Midianites were always at odds with the Israelites, always throughout the history, and there was a particular battle that's going to play right back into this whole understanding of light and dark and how all that works, and can't wait to share that with you in a minute. Now, first of all, John chapter 1, this is a powerful, it, it, essentially it says that John the Baptist wasn't the light. The light was the life of Christ, which enlightens every man. The first chapter of John, almost, it looks like, because it starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and it was light, and it was the light of man, and it enlightened us. What is John doing there? He's saying, look, you can go to Genesis 1, and you want to know how creation came into existence? Genesis 1 and 2. Do you want to know how spiritual creation comes into existence? We'll read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, darkness, formless, void, meaningless lives, lives that feel like they're just some cosmic chance or rocks bumping into each other out in the middle of a seemingly meaningless universe or where God is hovering over. Maybe you never followed Jesus, never considered it. Can I just tell you the Spirit of God, just like in creation, is hovering right here in this very place right now over your spirit, desiring to say, let there be light. How does that happen? 
Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What does that mean? The light will come streaming into you and you will be a light bearer. John chapter 8, Jesus was very clear. Who is the light? Jesus spoke to the people and he says, well, I'm the light of the world. John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. I mean, you would talk about some guts or he's delusional, right? I mean, the light of the world, I mean, it's one thing to be a teacher. It's one thing to be have some insight into spiritual realities or what's important about life or a moral guidance or something. But to say you are the light, Jesus, those are hard to those are hard words to take in unless you've experienced him. When he says I am the light of the world, I go, I I know that. You've absolutely changed and changed the direction of my life and, and just radically changed everything I know about reality. Of course you're the light. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you have the light of Christ on the inside of you today? You want to know what Christianity is? That's all it is. I don't care where you go to church, where, what your background is. Well, how, where they, where, you may have gone to seminary and not have the light of life. This is not about an education process. This is about believing into Jesus and having the light flow into your life. It goes from darkness to light. It goes from formlessness and void. It goes from tohu wabohu and your life, meaning meaningless desert uh, and darkness, to something that is now very glorious, and it is Christ in you. That's what it says in Colossians 1.27. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the light in you. And the light is his life, John 1 tells us. The life of Jesus, his teaching, his, the embodiment. You become the embodiment of his very, everything he said. And the spirit comes and dwells in you and you become, well, you become a light bearer. Now I'm telling you, if you'll remember at various points, we see that Jesus came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet the very people that he came to save had kind of turned on him as a nation, as a whole. Not everybody, but the majority of the nation rejected Jesus. People say that all the time. Well, if Jesus was really the Messiah or who he said he was, why wouldn't the Jews believe in him? Because God had prophesied that they would have to reject him to force it out and to go all over the world. But now in your lifetime, as you've heard me teach many times, some of you, uh, the light is now coming back to the Middle East and, and Jewish men and women are finding that they were actually living in darkness and now they are living in the light. I want you to listen to this. You know, many, many of you know we're we support this. I, I serve on the seminary board, and we serve. I'll be going to Budapest, Hungary in September to speak to our whole seminary staff. I have the privilege of doing devotionals in the morning, uh, and, and you as a church are uh, allowing me to do that. Thank you. And uh, these are Jews and Arabs who are believing into Jesus. And right here in the 21st century, and listen to the language that's being used by Dania. אני הייתי צריכה לראות את העולם על השטיח האדום, לקבל הכל, הכל בגדול, למצוא את עצמי בחור הכי שחור שאפשר למצוא. והיה לי בעיה גם לקחת שורה אחת של קוק יותר מדי ופשוט לא להיות. תמיד הדת הפחידה אותי. הדת הפחידה אותי מאוד כי אני חוטאת. זהו, אין סליחה על זה. אז בוא נהנה מהעולם. הייתי נשואה לאדם שמאוד אהבתי. הוא היה איש עסקים, השטיח האדום נפרס לרגליי. מרצדסים, פורשים, טיסות, כל הזמן, כמה שיותר מותגים, אם זה לא מותג, זה 
הכל מהכל מהכל. Shop till we drop, אוקיי? ביג טיים. אחרי כמה זמן גיליתי שלטרוק את הדלת של המרצדס ולמלא את הבגאז' בשקיות מהכיכר ולטרוק אותו, זה לא בדיוק נותן משהו מעבר לעשר דקות, רבע שעה, גג, שעה וחצי של איזה יופי יש לי את זה. בן אדם שהייתי נשואה לו היה בשבילי הכל. אבל... זה גם בא עם דרישות, ניתוחים פלסטיים, אל תחייכי כי יש לך קמטים בצדי העין, תעשי בוטוקס. רזה, ייצוגית, ברבי. לא ידעתי בדיוק מה זאת אהבה גם. פשוט מרגישה מתה בפנים. אז אה, בולעים עוד אה, קלונקס נגד החרדות, ומחייכים גם שממש רוצים לבכות. אני אומרת לו, אז מה אנחנו עושים להם אולי את שלך? והוא אומר לי, מתגרשים. ובזה התחיל המסע הרע שלי. מלא אלכוהול, מלא סמים, מלא חיים לא מוסריים בכלל. לא הצלחתי להבין למה אני חיה, מה המטרה פה בכלל. מה, מה הקטע? לא היה שום אור, היה רק חושך. היה פשוט רק חושך. אמא ממשיכה להתפלל, אמא מתפללת כל הזמן. יום אחד אמרתי לה, אמא, יש לך תנ״ך? והעיניים נפתחו. ואמרתי, מה? אמרתי, כן, יש לך תנ״ך, אמא? תנ״ך, התנ״ך שקיבלתי בבית ספר, משהו, יש לך? אז היא אמרה לי, כן. לא ידעתי כלום מהברית החדשה. ישוע סולח לי על הכל, כאילו. וואו. הוא נתן את החיים שלו כדי שאני אחיה? כדי שלי יסלחו החטאים? וכמה שיותר קראתי, ככה הרגשתי שכמה, שפשוט דברים נופלים ממני. נופלים, 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 נופלים. הכל מתקלף. לא הבנתי בעצמי מה קורה לי. ואז התחלתי להתפלל. ידעתי שאני צריכה לקום, למכור את כל מה שנשאר לי מהעבר, לעזוב הכל, להתפטר ולנסוע. מצאתי עולם שלם. שפשוט שווה לחיות בשבילו. פתאום היה אור, וזה פשוט שינה לי את החיים. אם זה התכשיטים, ירדו, ו- וכל השואו אוף הזה ירד. אני יודעת היום שהקהל שאני חיה בשבילו זה אחד, וזה יהושע. אחרי תשעה חודשים שבעצם לא היה לי כלום לעומת מה שהיה לי לפני זה, היה לי הכל. בשבילי ישועה זה לא דת. אחת, שתיים, שלוש, תעשה או אל תעשה. הוא אהבה. זה בסדר, טעית? אתה יכול לבקש סליחה. וזה ייסלח. זה היה מאוד uh, מוזר בהתחלה, אבל בעצם לא, שהמסע שלי היה תשעה חודשים, שזה הריון, ויצאתי בן אדם חדש. היום אני דניה ואני שמחה. ואני שמחה, ואני שמחה עם מה שיש לי. מודה לו, מודה לו, מודה לו. אני מאמינה שכל בן אדם שיבוא וישב איתי היום, יראה את הדניה של החדשה. הדניה של ישוע. Really, just another shop till you drop 
big time, meaningless, void of any light. She, she described it, darkness, hopelessness, tohu wabohu, just like the depths in a pre-created place and then let there be light. And what happens is, is that she became a new person. She said it. See what God did? The Spirit was hovering over Dania in her brokenness. And then there was a let there be light moment through somebody sharing. Somebody get, somebody got that New Testament. Somebody was out there. Probably there were numerous accounts. And then all of a sudden, she's a new person. Now, what do you do with that? How can you go about even understanding that, uh, that you are now the light? It's not just that the light has come to live in you, but new, you are the light. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We know where the light comes from. The light is Christ. It's his, his life in us, but now you become the light. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see what? Your good works. And glorify your Father is in heaven. You can't take your faith and privatize it. You need to put it up on display so that the world, people like Dania, before she knew Jesus, could see your life. They could see your works, whether you're sharing, taking food to somebody, giving money to something, doing whatever it is, let them see Christ in you. How do you get ready for Jesus to come back? Keep your lamps lit. Let people see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How do you do that? What's the, what's the role? Well, I'll tell you, the biggest shift you'll ever make in your life is the second part of this little parable Jesus is telling about this wedding feast, and I'll tell you what it is. They identified as bond slaves. They identified as bond slaves. You see this over and over. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says. We do not preach ourselves, preaching, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Christ just means anointed one, Messiah, at Jesus, Yeshua. She's mentioned Yeshua. That's the same thing as Jesus. That's the Hebrew for Jesus. As our master, okay? So the Messiah, Yeshua, as our master, and ourselves as your bondservants for the sake of Jesus. See, once you... It's the biggest shift. It's the most noticeable difference I see in someone. I see someone who may have kind of been religious their whole life, gone to church, not gone, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what their background is. And they come and they, they have this relationship with Jesus. But at some point, something happens and there is an identity shift. And they go from just someone who sees themselves as a church-going saved person to an actual bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. When that happens, it changes everything. And then he uses this language in verse 6, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of, of God, well, it, that it comes from God and not from ourselves. See, when Jesus says, you're the light of the world, he didn't expect to go, I'm the light, I'm the light, I'm the light, look at me, I'm the light, I'm not the light, but the light lives in me through the new birth. Something that happened to Dania, the spirit, you know, hovering over her, and then God let there be light, she believes, she's filled with light, 
She's not perfect yet. There's a long going, ongoing sanctification process, a cleaning up, and as there are with all of us as well. We're not Jesus, but Jesus can live on the inside of you even today. When I think about Paul and saying we have this treasure, which is the life and the light of Jesus in us when we have this, but it's in earthen pots. There's a, now I want to swing back. Remember the Isaiah passage, as at the battle of Midian, so you're the, the, all this is, is going to be broken off your back and all this slavery is going to be broken off and you're going to be set free like what happened at the battle of Midian. Well, what happened at the battle of Midian? I'm just going to do this quickly, but in Judges 6 and 7, we have this picture of this guy named Gideon, and God called him to do something. He's like, I can't do that. He was out, you know, stomping on some grapes. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not me. I, and maybe that's where you are here today. I can't be the light of the world. I barely can get, I can barely keep my own life together. How am I going to be the light of Christ and, and, and to impact other people? Well, that's where it always starts, and Gideon was the reluctant warrior. And at some point, there was, um, east of the Jordan, there was this land called Gilead, uh, that was in this Transjordan place, uh, the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad. It's kind of this big area called Gilead, uh, not on the Israeli side, but on the Jordanian side today in terms of today's maps. And there was the Midianites, you know, the Zipporah's downline, Moses' downline through Zipporah. And, and there were tens of thousands, tens and tens of thousands, 100,000 plus of these Midianites down in this, uh, down this wide expanse. And, and they were going, how are we going to take these guys? I guess that's what I want you to take them. But here's what we're going to do first. They started with 32,000, which was still dwarfed relative to the number of the Midianites. Dwarfed. And, and, and here's what God says. He says, hey, Gideon, here's what I want you to do first. I want you to go down and say, hey, anybody who's afraid, you guys just go ahead and go home. And 22,000 left. Now they're left with 10,000. So they had, a bad, they had impossible odds. Now they've just got ridiculous odds. And God says, that's still too many. Because if I let you do this and you win, then you're going to think it was you. You're going to think in, a, in, a in this metaphor that we're using, you're going to think that the light was you. The light's me. The power's me. It's all about me, but I'm going to use you. But we've got to get this down even a little further. So he said, take them down to the river, and they took them down to the river, and he said, watch how they drink. And of the 10,300 went down, and they, they lifted the water up, in their, and they cupped their hands, and they started kind of lapping it up. And the other ones just got down on all fours and started drinking right out of the river. And he goes, see those 300? He goes, I want you to take those 300. Now, it's, now we got a fair fight. It's God and 300 against all these, this multitude down in the valley. And, of course, Gideon's, what's going on? How are we going to do this? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take Purah, which is one of your, uh, your servants. And I want you guys just to kind of climb down at night, and I want you to go on the outposts, the outskirts of the camp. The, the, and I just want you to listen in because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something that I'm in the middle of this. And he goes down, and here, here's one guy, one of these Midianites, standing another. I had a dream last night. You wouldn't believe this big, this loaf of bread, this barley bread came rolling down the mountain and just wiped the whole camp out. And the other guy goes, oh, I know what that bread was. That was the sword of the Lord, Gideon. Now, oh, man, we're in big trouble now. And here's Gideon out here listening in, thinking, and Purah's going, what the heck is going on here? I don't know. And he goes, listen, they think God, God's in this. So they go back up. Now what do we do? Which Still, how are you going to take on 100,000 plus with, what, a few, 300 men? Here's what God says. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on the perimeter of this on this hill here, and I, and I want you to take a pot, an earthenware pot, and I want you to put a torch on the inside of it and to get these trumpets. And when I, when I give the, 
when I give the go sound, trumpets blare, crack, crack the pot, and then the light shines out of these pots. And they're like, all right, well, whatever you think, Lord. And they did it, and they began to turn. The Midianites were terrified, thinking it was the massive army, much larger than themselves. They began to turn on one another, and they, fl- they fled, and they killed one another, and it was a great rout. And it finally ended up with Oreb and Z being killed, some of their commanders in the very end. And it's like, how did that happen? What does that mean to us? And how, what does that have to do with lighting Keeping your lamp lit. Look, God's speaking to us just like at the Battle of Midian. When this light comes, well, what do you think the bread rolling down? It has to be Jesus, the manna that's come down out of heaven. When the word of Christ comes down, it doesn't destroy lives anymore. It, well, it saves lives from spiritual forces of wickedness. And it was a picture when we take our earthenware lives and God cracks us a little bit and breaks us. And when we share the sufferings of Christ... Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Maybe you're suffering the indignities of a physical disorder. Maybe you're starting to get a little dementia. Whatever it is, uh, life will crack your pot a little bit. But guess what happens? If the light is, is in you, it'll begin to shine out. And it'll wipe out spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Isn't that a powerful picture of what God does through broken pots? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body, your dirt and water, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your pot, in your earthenware pot. Do you identify as a bond slave? Paul did. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1. We're bond slaves. See, when you begin to shift your identity as someone, and again, who is a bond slave? A bond slave is someone who is in a servile position, who's devoted to others in complete disregard for their own needs. You want to get ready for Jesus to come back? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. I'm going to tell you, not many people like the idea of being a slave. Not many people do. But to be a slave of Christ is everything. Listen to what David Graby says. The duties of a typical servant include, well, many mundane, monotonous, and repetitive chores. You think it's easy for these guys to get go at 6 o'clock in the morning, load up a big truck, bring all this stuff in, get these monitors up and everything, and this wires going everywhere and speakers and all that. It can get a little tedious, a little monotonous. It gets old. But they're serving something greater than themselves. It's easy for a servant to think, what's the use? Do I really have to do this right now since there's no sign of the master right now? Perhaps I can just, well, you know, relax and maybe prepare quickly when his return seems near. Jesus gave us all kinds of parables about readiness. The virgins and all, it was just amazing, these parables. He's like, be ready, be ready. Clothing first, keep your lamps lit, and now what I'm asking you to do, identify as a bond slave. Such a servant would be inclined to spend more time while watching from the window for the master's return than he would performing his own assigned tasks. Yet a servant's responsibility is to be prepared and to make sure the household, which is today is church, is prepared not to anticipate the timing of the master's return, 
Jesus said repeatedly that we will not know. If we believe him, our focus will be on being fruitful and vigilant in the things he's given us to do. His return will take the household by surprise. There's no other way to understand all of his statements. The critical point is the state of readiness and usefulness of the household and the servants when he returns. You know, I have some friends, the Sabos, uh, Denny and Monica, and a number of years back they had uh, offered to let us... uh, uh, go up and stay at their home in Montana, and we did one summer. And uh, my, I think I've told you this, but my girls informed me that's the only vacation we've ever taken, Dad. You know, and we were always it was a golf tournament. You were speaking somewhere. This is we just went up there just to be family, and we took everybody up there, and they had this big home. They since sold it, but in that home was up on the side, Big Fork, Montana, and it was on the side of a mountain, and kind of go up and. You could really, and then they had this beautiful, it was a large home, and then you could cr- climb this st- spiral staircase, and at the very top, there was this surrounded by windows, maybe six, seven feet by six and seven feet, and little, there was a little rocking chair in there, and it was all, and you could just look out over the entire valley. It was the most glorious thing in the world, and I'd go up there and pray and read my Bible. We were there about a week, and it was just, I just, I still, I will cherish that forever. And looking out on God's creation and looking up in the sky and going, I wonder if Jesus, you know, would return today, you know. And then guess what? What if I just stayed up there? And so next week you came and or you're watching on, on live stream or something and, and you looked out and you go, uh, where's Pastor Jeff? Oh, he's up in Montana. He's just looking for Jesus to return. Oh, okay, well, well, who's going to give the message? He said, uh, he didn't know. Uh, well, uh, next week comes, and everybody, oh, I will give it another shot. Well, where's Jeff? Oh, he's just up there looking for Jesus to return. He's up, yeah, just sitting up there in that rocking chair, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus says, be prepared. How do you prepare? Daily, monotonous, at times, do the work. I, As the president of Lynx, and, and I'm involved here at Church of the Red Door, there's a large staff, and I always tell our guys, look, there's all kinds of ideas, and wouldn't this be a great idea, and maybe you've run a business or something before. At the end of the day, what do you want your employees to do? Just get up and do the assigned task. Just do the work. How do you, any of them, maybe you had some employees, and they came in, and they didn't do anything that they were asked to do for month after month, and then they came in, hey, I've got a great idea. You know, I look at Butch Seal down here, Seal Furniture, right, there in Denver. I got a great, I hadn't done a thing in the last three months that you asked me to do, but I've got a great idea of some things we could do. And what would he, after he said, you know, kicked him right out the door, he'd probably say, look, I'm just asking you to do what you were hired to do. Just get up and do the work. Be prepared. Jesus is saying, just be a servant. Whatever I tell you to do, just do it. That's all I'm asking you to do, and be a light to the world. You wouldn't want that from your pastor any more than Jesus would want that from you. Are you fulfilling the task that Jesus wants you to fulfill? Until you've breathed, breathed your last, you're not finished. You say, well, maybe, maybe somebody's watching, and they're watching from uh, a home where they barely just don't, don't even have a, access to a car anymore or something. You can be praying. The Lord might give you a task, or you can share somebody next to your room. Or I mean, there's just any number of things that the Lord may call you to do. He may, want you to, he may want you to give your money to the poor. He may want you to, I don't know. It's between you and the Lord. He's just saying, be prepared. Be prepared. So in closing, I, I want to read this Romans 6 because Paul saw, saw his life in two ways. Not only was he subject to Jesus as a slave, he was also subject to righteousness as a slave. Now, before you say, well, what is he talking about? It's important that we strive not just, just to do the work, but to be righteous people in doing the work. I can go and share Christ 
And then what does that mean if I'm out getting drunk and beating slaves, as the rest of the story says, right? What, is it, what does it mean if I'm out saying, oh, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and come to Christ, and then I'm out in an, an adulterous relationship with my wife? Would that impact you if you found that out? Would it impact you if I came and I was on a sting operation and I got pulled over for a DUI and I was three times the legal limit and I'm your pastor? Would that have any impact on you? Of course it would. Have impact on my family. It'd have impact on my life. It'd have in- so I'm not only a slave to Jesus, I'm a slave to righteousness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6 as we close. What then? Shall we sin? Because, well, now we're not, we're, under, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. You are under grace. Of course not. May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart your heart is your mind, will, and emotions, to that form of teaching so that you, well, which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. He goes, look, Romans, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, like Donia, she said, I just gave myself over to partying and sexual immorality and materialism and everything. I just gave myself as a slave to sin. She didn't use that language, but because she was in darkness, we know that's the result. And that that results in further lawlessness. So now present your members, that's your body, your blood and water, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, meaning you're cleaned up. You begin to have purity of soul. You begin to and as we see with Cain and Abel, when Cain killed his brother, the Lord comes down and says, why, why is your countenance fallen? If you do right, won't your countenance be lifted up? Won't you have happiness and glad? Did you see that in Dania? I mean, there was joy there. There was genuine joy, contentment, light. Out of darkness into light, you become a slave of righteousness. So let's put all this together. If I want to, first I want to be dressed. How do we get ready, all right? You're going to dress the part. You're going to be looking for humility and kindness and go to those different shops. Remember we looked at that? and Just walk down El Paseo and say, hey, I need a little humility over here. And as the Lord would direct you, you say, I'm going to work on that. uh, Holy Spirit, help me. You're going to read passages. You're going to get involved in a community that models humility for me. I, I love being around many of you. I have learned humility through many of you. I have certain strengths, but I also have weaknesses, and I can get a lot ahead of myself a little bit, and I can I can name drop and think, you know, say self-aggrandizing things, and then I'm around some of you, and I go, oh, I can see Christ, and I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to be like I want to be like that person, and so I grow in being rubbing elbows against many of you in your humility, some of your some of your generosity and the way you do life and, the, and just giving away. You're always giving and never taking thought for yourselves like a true slave would do. And you're always thinking about the other person first. And I go, oh, I want to be more like that. So that whole sanctification process is beautiful. So how do we do this? Well, we prepare for shining by what? I, I need Christ in me first. If you, if you don't know Jesus, you can do that today. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's 
powerful. That's what happened on Friday. These guys, they got baptized and spirit invaded their body and light begins. Well, I can't wait to see the light shining out of their lives. Well, you, display, you, you shine through the display of Christ, right? And how does that actually work out in real life? Through the works, good works that God wants to do through your life. So that everybody can see it. And that's your light shining. And I will tell you that the good works aren't natural until. Good works never become, it was never natural for me. I'd occasionally try to do something. But once somehow shifted in my mind that I am a slave of Christ and of his righteousness, good works became natural. Before that, they were, oh, when I think about it, oh, maybe a little bit over here. But once I changed my identity, like Paul and, all, and even Jesus himself, who took the form of a servant, a bond slave, took on human flesh and came down and dwelt among men. When I see that, and that Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Jesus taking more concern for your interests than his own, when I see that, I'm going, I want to be like that. And Jesus said, when you start doing that, guess what? You're ready. Now, just stay in that condition until I come back. So I'm going to, before Paul comes up for communion, I just want to pray this for you. Maybe you've never done this before. Two things. Maybe you just say, Lord Jesus, I've never really followed you. I've never become a believer, and somehow I have the faith. I don't know how. It just happens, and I, I, I believe in you. I want to be like Donia. I feel your spirit hovering over me, and I want there to be a let there be light experience, and I want you to come and invade my body today. Just tell him that. Lord, come in. Lord Jesus, come. I believe in you. And then secondly, here's what I'm asking you to do. Maybe many of you have done that, but you've never really identified as a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're like a saved person, and you're a churchgoer, and you're a pretty moral character. But you've never really said, you know what, I'm a bond slave. I want you to pray this. If you have that in your heart, just pray this before the God. Because he, he, he listens. These prayers are important, by the way. They're very, when they're, you intentional, it's a, it's a change. I, it's not until some people, you got to close the deal, you know. I'm not trying to close any deal. I'm just saying, God, when I pray, God acts. So if you want to do that, just pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I've, I've, I've seen myself as a Christian maybe for many years, but I've never really thought of myself as a slave. And Lord, I'm sorry, I can see clearly that you want to use my body. And so I've got to be a living sacrifice. I've got to be a slave of yours. And so, which is beautiful because you come and serve me. That's what Jesus said. It's very strange. But Lord Jesus, today I decide, I, I make it the intention of my heart to get the identity as a bond slave for you and for your glory until you come back. Because I know in doing so, I will be ready for that day, and oh, how glorious that day will be. Paul.